agreements are all about understanding one another of what are my limits? What am I willing to do? What are my boundaries? Understanding that about yourself as well as understanding that of your partner and being able to come to a place of, okay, this is what I am okay with and this is what I am not okay with as well as it's a commitment of this is how we will treat one another. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that... Last time Dorcas was on the show, she joined me in sunny California to discuss her great book, Start Love Repeat, How to Stay in Love with Your Entrepreneur in a Crazy Startup World. And we will link to that episode in the show notes, or you can go back and download it on your device right now before listening to this episode. And on on the first episode with Dorcas, we talked about the ins and outs of supporting an entrepreneurial spouse. But today, things are a bit different. We're not in sunny California anymore more. Dorcas is in Nairobi, Kenya, and she is sharing all about the big move and how moving overseas three times in the past decade inspired the book, which we talked about, Start, Love, Repeat, How to Stay in Love with Your Entrepreneur in a Crazy Startup World. Now, Dorcas is a woman who practices what she preaches. Like Tim Ferriss, she makes herself a guinea pig to test her hypotheses. And now she has an opportunity to test the principles from the start, love, repeat in the actual real world. Because being an entrepreneur or the family member of an entrepreneur comes with distractions. There's so much going on and so many moving parts and things like the work that needs to get done, taking care of your kids, household, work, errands, and other activities can pull all of your focus. But when you spend all of your time focusing on everything else, you can end up losing the touch points that a relationship needs in order to stay closely connected. And as that happens, questions and doubts about the relationship can slip into your mind. So how do you come back from that or prevent yourself from getting there in the first place? Critically, it's important to recognize that trust can be a choice. You may not necessarily be feeling it in the moment, but if you can choose to act like you do and choose to continue sharing with your entrepreneurial spouse and the entrepreneurial spouse with your non-entrepreneurial spouse, those actions can actually reinforce your bond. If you don't make the choice to try, it can be devastating to a relationship because as it turns out, the number one reason people get divorced isn't actually because of infidelity or any big event. It's simply because they give up. They feel like the spark is gone and they just stop investing in the relationship. One of the first steps when we're talking about maintaining intimacy is the recognition that it's not going to happen by itself. So listen empathetically and get to know one another and refresh 
every opportunity you get and be intentional about it. That's how you'll ultimately connect emotionally. Really, it's impossible to overemphasize just how important that is because you can make a choice to create the conditions and help develop that intimacy. This is a great follow-up episode with Dorcas, so bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, brace for impact, and oh, by the way, be sure to head to the show notes and buy a copy of her book, Start Love, Repeat, How to Stay in Love with Your Entrepreneur in a Crazy Startup World. Brace for impact. Dorcas, welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to have you back on. And last time we recorded, we recorded here in my office in sunny Capitola. And where are you today? Today, I am in Nairobi in Kenya. And why are you there? We moved here about seven weeks ago. We relocated here because East Africa is a major hub for my husband's business. So this is actually our third move overseas in the last decade. And every single one of those moves has been because of the startup that's in our family. That is awesome. And and that is the catalyst, the reason why you wrote the phenomenal book, Start, Love, Repeat, which we talked about on our first episode with you a few weeks back, several weeks back at this point, by the time this airs, and heard a lot about your story and how you and Ned met and some of the early struggles and some of the, the first part of the book. And we ran out of time to kind of get into the nitty gritty of some of the strategies and tactics as it relates to developing trust and maintaining communication and intimacy and surviving failure and success and so much more. But before we do that, you are like a Tim Ferriss in the sense that you're like you like to test your hypothesis. You like you're like a <laughs> guinea pig. And so here you are, you're putting the principles that you write about in Start Love Repeat to work. And so what have you noticed? What have you had to call upon from your own work in these uh, first, you know, two months of living in Nairobi. Yeah, honestly, more than I would like to admit, because it is challenging. It's always challenging to move to a new place, a new country, a new continent. And we have two young children, a baby and a first grader. And um, so there was a lot in there in terms of the complicated logistics, the exhaustion, the stress. Um, the grief also of saying goodbye um, to people we love and our home and and trying to to find a new home in a new place. And so I would say that Ned and I have really had to work on communication. That's been a big thing Mm -hmm. in the last few weeks of being honest with one another because I've been all over the map in terms of how I have felt about this move. And I think I have needed to be reminded that I agreed to this move. Um, I think it, it can be sometimes very easy to turn around and want to blame your spouse mm-hmm. for all the bad things in your life and, and recognize that ultimately, you know, in this case, I agreed to do this move with Ned. I do still support him. I do still support his business. And to, to get into the... Be willing to get into the weeds of, okay, what do we really need right now as a family to make this work for us? And um, and so to try to put together some of those goals and those plans, um, such as, you know, okay, community is a huge priority. 
how are we going to do that? Where are we going to make friends um, and find people who are like-minded? Um, so I could go on and on. <laughs> um, yeah. but I would say that this is all still very much in process. I am still very much living the life of what it means to be married to an entrepreneur and try to make it work for our relationship and our family. So it's all coming to you guys fresh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that this is a great place to start because you did mention, you know, that the, the importance of communication, and we'll talk about maintaining communication, but really good communication between committed in a committed relationship. The foundation of that is trust, right? Trusting each other that you have each other's best interest in mind. And ultimately, as you mentioned in your book, it is the thing that leads to safety, security in a relationship. And it goes beyond when, when a lot of people think about trust in a relationship, in a married relationship in particular. They think about fidelity as it relates to a sexual relationship, but it goes way, way, way beyond that. And that's just one aspect of it. It's our emotions. It's our time. It's our ability to be vulnerable and share how we're feeling. So in your research and in your own personal experience, especially now, as you're living it really, truly, (laughs) where do you see that trust begin to erode? And what are areas or or signs or tips, strategies that people can begin to execute and implement in their own meaningful relationships to maintain and and continue to uh, fortify that trust? Yeah, trust is so foundational to every relationship. And especially when you're talking about marriage and really committed relationships, I think in the entrepreneurial experience, there can be so many distractions. If you, whether you're the entrepreneur or you're the spouse of the entrepreneur, there is so much going on. There's so many moving parts that you can become really focused on those other things that are going on, the work that needs to get done, the kids that need to get taken care of, the the housework, the errands, the other relationships, other activities that you kind of lose those touch points that, that a relationship needs in order to to stay closely connected to one another. And so when you are headed in sort of different directions from from your spouse, or even if you guys are operating in parallel, but you're not coming back together and having regular interactions and partnering together on things, then I think there is a distance that grows. And then that distance can, can hurt trust because you you don't actually, you start to not know one another as well if mm-hmm. if that makes sense i i think there can be sort of this day-to-day sense of i'm losing touch of what your lived experience is mm-hmm. and i only know what mine is and so then you can develop a more tunnel vision of you know this is what i see life as and i don't understand where you're coming from or why you're doing the things that you're doing and how that's helping me or our family are you even thinking about me and so those questions those doubts begin to get planted in your mind and yeah. it can be really easy to begin to wonder you know, is is this person really prioritizing our relationship and our marriage? Um, can I really entrust this person with the deepest parts of myself and the things that are the most important? 
to me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard, you know? And so how do you come back from that? Or how do you prevent yourselves from even getting to that place? Um, I think one thing that I found in my research that was really encouraging is that trust can be a choice um, in the sense that you know, you may not be feeling it, but if you act like you trust your spouse, if you choose to continue to share with them, um, to continue to entrust them with things that are important to you, to um, share responsibilities within your home and your family, those actions can actually help. It's like your behavior comes first and then your your mind and your spirit and soul can follow mm-hmm. because there's this this lovely sort of positive reinforcement that can happen of when you act like you trust your spouse, then he or she will begin to respond in kind. And just the small little actions that you take in how you speak to one another, the tone that you use, um, the the words that you choose to use, the, the small acts of affection and affirmation that that you demonstrate to one another, those are all things that that build trust and they kind of go into this little savings account. And, and when you can do that for one another on a regular basis, then it becomes easier and easier to reciprocate that. And those small acts of trust then can grow into a deeper sense of, yes, this is a person that I can truly partner with and, and do life with mm-hmm. for the long run. Have you seen the movie, The Greatest Showman? I'm sure you have. I actually haven't because I was too busy moving to Nairobi. <laughs> oh my gosh, you have to see that movie. I mean, like it's so, you have to see that movie. I mean, like it's like a, a beautiful story. And obviously it's it's based on a very thin, true story. And then, you know, they extrapolated and added all kinds of amazingness to it. But like, there's this one scene and I'm not really ruining anything, but where P.T. Barnum walks into their their big mansion after something has fallen apart and his wife is walking downstairs and she hands him a note that that basically uh, that the banker gave her when he showed up at their house saying hey you know you're we're foreclosing on your house and mm. and she walks up to him as she's walking out of the house she she hands him this note and she says you could you sh- you could have just asked me i would have said yes Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he had mortgaged yeah. the house, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, it's really it was a really powerful moment. But there's so many powerful moments in that movie. You need to go see it. I'm not going to tell you anymore. But one of the things that that it brings up as it relates to to maintaining trust and, and developing trust is having certain agreements around different domains mm-hmm. in in your life. And I'd love to hear your point of view on the power of coming to uh, mutually beneficial agreements in 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 ter- as it relates to developing and maintaining trust in a in a marriage. Yes. So, what are my limits? What am I willing to do? What are my boundaries? Understanding that about yourself as well as understanding that of your partner, and being able to come to a place of okay, this is what I am okay with, and this is what I am not okay with. As well as it's a commitment of this is how we will treat one another. This is how we will care for one another. And I spoke with one couple who you know typed it all up. They actually signed it like a contract. They scanned it, saved it on their Google documents. And it was something that they would revisit 
every few months. And what they told me was that this essentially took the argument off the table because if somebody violated those agreements, you could just go back to that and and recognize that this is what we had talked about before. This is what we had said we were going to do for one another. And and one of us has not done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it gives you this really, I think, clear and healthy starting point mm-hmm. to have those tough conversations around things like money and moving and quality of life, things that are really sensitive for mm-hmm. people. But if you can um, begin to to lay those foundations of, of what's okay with us, what is not okay before you get yourself into a really tight spot, before things become so stressful that you are wanting to make decisions that may not be the most rational or may not be the best for your family. You can have something to go back to um, because agreements always reflect who we are, who we want to be, and the values and priorities that we have as a family. Mm-hmm. One of the things you, t- I mean, and this kind of segues directly into the importance of communication because because coming up with agreements is in effect communicating and building kind of a, a boundaries around what you are, what is going to happen, what you know, when things, you know, if something arises and you need to make an an urgent emergency decision, what is the procedure you're going to follow to make sure that everything stays in place and you don't leave your wife stranded in some foreign country uh, while you go back <laughs> to solve uh, a problem, which one of your case studies did. Right, <laughs> right. And yes. it's, it's, it's funny because I think that, and even one of the people you mentioned in your book that's one of the experts talks about the fact that most entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs because they don't like being told what to do, right? Yes. They like to act first, and then ask for forgiveness later. And I must confess, you know, I've done that. To uh, I've not left Lisa um, stranded in a foreign country before. That's <laughs> definitely <for> that's <laughs> definitely a box that I uh, I haven't checked, and hopefully never will. But there's certainly biases that I uh-huh. have as it relates to you know the, the way I want to approach things. And I'm even wondering, as people are formulating agreements, and hopefully people aren't so, I guess. Uh, sociopathic that they that they do this, but even as they're formulating agreements, that some may be doing it just to appease the spouse, right? They're not actually mm-hmm. buying in. So, in the communication process, which is a, a direct result of an effort to build and develop and maintain trust, how do you make sure that you're getting real buy-in from both people? Yeah, well, I think that's where honesty and sometimes brutal honesty needs to come in. That it, you know, one of the the sources I cite, um, written by a couple that works with a lot of entrepreneurial couples in Silicon Valley, they talk about how how easy it is for us to lie to one another in our relationships. And actually, we even lie to ourselves and we pretend that we're okay with something when we're not. And and so part of this process of developing agreements, of building trust in your relationship is is really being honest with yourself and with your partner about um, who you are and what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. I would love to 
pretend that I am the kind of person that you can just plop down in any country, in any culture, and I can just hang with it and, and it'll be fine. And the truth is that I am not that person. As much as I want to be that person, I am not that person. I need things set up for me. I need somebody to explain things to me. I need to know that these certain logistics are going to work. I need to make sure that our kids have good medical care and good teachers and you know, good activities and access to friends. And um, I, there are certain questions that I need answered because that is just who I am. <laughs> and I'm a little bit neurotic that way. And I love details and I love knowing things in advance. Um, and all of those things rub up against who my husband, the entrepreneur is, um, because he very much is the type who could just show up in a country and figure things out on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, but because... I have come to recognize that that is who I am. And and he has the willingness to accept that that is who I am and he's willing to work with that. Then we we try to find a middle ground, mm. something that we are both comfortable with. And to be honest, it's stretching for both of us. And I think that that is one of the great challenges of marriage. And it's also one of the most beautiful things about marriage, which is that you will challenge one another and you will push one another. And that's how you mature and um, become more well-rounded human beings is, is when you have somebody who will push you out of your comfort zone and, uh, and stretch you and, and help you to figure out who you are and, and how strong you really are and what your limits really are. So as, as it relates to that, what kind of agreements have you guys, you and Ned, developed together? That's a great question. And <laughs> I would say that we had some really pretty well-established agreements when we were living in the U.S. And then things have gotten really messy in the last couple of months with our move. And we're still figuring it out, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, but I would say that some of the things we figured out is travel. Travel has been a huge challenge for us throughout our marriage because um, many entrepreneurs need to travel a lot. And I was okay with it until our children were born. And then that became so much more difficult because I was spending way more time being a single parent than I wanted to. And, um, and so now it's come to the point where we know that if, if Ned needs to travel, he needs to give me advance notice. He needs to run it by me. We need to sit down and look at our calendars and see what works in terms of when he leaves, how long he's gone for, um, what kind of support I need while he's gone. Um, that is a conversation that we actually just had very recently, a few days ago, um, because our hope had been that while living here in Kenya, that he would not need to travel. Um, but now it's looking like that's not the case. And so, um, so we sat down and we had a conversation around, okay, you know, what, what are we okay with mm-hmm. in terms of his travel? What kind of support do I need? How long can he go for? Because it's an entirely different ballgame when you're talking about, you know, living in, in a new country where we don't yet have an established support system. And then, you know, we also have agreements around, they're very much related to setting boundaries. Um, so at night, you know, our phones are not in our room. Um, our bedroom is generally free of technology because we really want to keep that as a space that's just for us and for rest and rejuvenation. Weekend time, we try really hard to reserve that just for the family. And if Ned needs 
any of needs to kind of bend or um, any of those boundaries, then then we need to talk about it. And he knows that he needs to come to me and and make sure that it's okay with me and with our family schedule that he takes some extra time to do some work. Mm-hmm. But it's not just your family schedule that gets impacted or the lack of an additional human being there. It's actually the absence of his presence during that time and and the intimacy that that is redirected someplace else. You know, we relationships start off in this kind of infatuated state and they move from infatuation mm-hmm. to to commitment and intimacy. And then as as you know, they develop these entrepreneurial tendencies, they move from intimacy back to infatu- infatuation, but with an idea infatuation with an idea of something, right? And so now you've got mm. these competing forces. And mm-hmm. so what that's a universal problem. I think it's 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 a problem yeah. maintaining intimacy is a problem in marriages regardless of whether yes, one's an entrepreneur absolutely. or not, but then it's compounded by entrepreneurship in one in one sense. It's kind of there's a there's always dualities to everything, right? But in on the negative side of thing, entrepreneur on, on the positive side of thing, entrepreneurship is great. There is a lot of freedom that's provided, right? Absolutely. Yes. On, on the negative side, it does require the entrepreneur to be pulled in two different directions. So how do you guys maintain that? What struggles do you see other people having? Do you have? And how are you working to to main, make sure that priorities are, are lined up the right way? Yeah, I think the amazing thing about entrepreneurs is how much passion they have, how much they love their work and how how much they're willing to put into it. And it's something that I really admire and respect in entrepreneurs. And it can cause tension when you're talking about family, when you're talking about marriage and relationships, because it can feel like the person who is so important to you has this other love in their life. And there have definitely been spouses who have shared with me the feeling of it almost feels like your spouse is cheating on you because they have this other other presence in their life that is taking up so much of their time and energy and that they care about so deeply. And, And so that can lead to all sorts of ugly jealousy and resentment. Um, and that makes it really, really hard to mm-hmm. to try to maintain that sense of intimacy. Because like you said, every relationship struggles with that. Um, the number one reason why people get divorced, it's not because of infidelity. It's not because of money issues, even though those are big reasons. But the number one reason why people get divorced is they simply just kind of give up. They feel like the spark is gone. They they just don't really want to keep investing in the relationship anymore. And and so so I think that's that's one of the first steps to recognize when we're talking about maintaining intimacy is the recognition that it's not going to happen by itself. Mm-hmm. That it's something, you know, I think we'd like to have this romantic sized view of, you know, if you're with the right person, it's just going to be amazing for the rest of our lives. And it's just not true. And and so how do you create that intimacy? Again, it, it's a choice. It's something that you can do through your behavior. And so I think um, it's, it's actually fairly similar to what 
we were talking about earlier with trust is that in intimacy, you may not be feeling very close to your spouse, but, um, but I think this is a case where it's not always the best thing to just go with our feelings mm-hmm. because you can make the choice to create the conditions that mm-hmm. help develop intimacy, right? So if you choose to give your partner um, a really long embrace when they get home from work, even if you're not feeling super lovey-dovey, but if you do that, that actually helps. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a way of creating real intimacy. If you choose to have, carve out 10 or 15 minutes a day at the end of the day, just to check in with one another and ask, you know, how was your day? What was the best thing about it? What was the hardest thing about it? What are you worried about for tomorrow? Those sorts of um, conversations, they matter a lot. Mm. And um, and they help build that trust. They help build that sense of connection. Um, and they make you feel so much better. Um, they're there's a study done that shows that a couple that has um, just one positive interaction, if you have that like positive conversation between the two of you, you will both sleep better that night. And that sense of positivity will carry over for an entire week. Um, it can last that long. And so it's absolutely worth it to, to find those pockets of time to connect with one another in a meaningful way, to ask one another really good questions and to listen really well. I cannot emphasize how important it is to just listen um, empathetically and, and to really try to hear one another and to get to know one another. And those are the ways that you will emotionally connect. And then, um, you know, interestingly, I think when we talk about physical intimacy, it kind of works the same way. If you choose to express physical intimacy with your partner, it builds on itself. And Mm -hmm. if you do that, your partner is likely to respond in kind. It may not be right away, Um, especially if there has been some breach of trust or if you there has been a distance that has built up between the two of you and it's been there for a while, it's going to take time to to break that back down and to be able to come back together and have a close sense of connection. Yeah. I think that I think that, that is so powerful. And and you know, especially the check-ins, Lisa, my wife, she uh, loves to have the check-ins. I, I I'm not good at it, but you know, she <laughs> She needs to download to me what's on her mind, things that need she needs to get off of her chest, questions that she has. I mean, oftentimes she has a list on her iPhone of of things that are just you know in her head, bouncing around all day long, and she's waiting for me to turn my attention to her. And mm-hmm. and that is one of the things I think people miss out when it comes to intimacy. You you've you talked about attention which is a kind of a subjective thing. And then you talked about physical intimacy, which is more obvious. But, but it's really, I think, the more subjective intimacy that we need, that people yes. miss out on. Like, you know, obviously during for 8, 12 hours a day, Ned's, the sun that is Ned is shining on his business. Uh-huh. You know? Yes. And so... For the warmth of his gaze to turn on you and your kids, it's super meaningful. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a great book, another uh, re- wonderful book written by a guy named Matthew Kelly called Seven Levels of Intimacy that I recommend to you. It's, it's a short, quick read. Uh, I think it's also on audio. Really, really good. Had a big impact on, on me and um, whether or not I worked on weekends early, you know, early on in our relationship, maybe about uh, almost 10 years ago at this point, I heard it. And it, I was literally listening to the audio tape I had it in my... I, it was my second or third time actually listening to it. And I'm a man, so I'm a little dense. And so I had to listen to it three times for it to actually kind of sink in. And all of a sudden, I'm driving to my office on a Saturday and I hear him say, love is a choice. Mm-hmm. And I got off the highway. I turned around and I went home and I said, I'm not going to... Barring urgent matters, I'm not going to work Saturdays anymore. Yeah, and, that's really powerful. And I walk into the house and she starts bawling. Mm. I tell her that. So I, it was like exactly what she needed, you know, but I didn't know that. And it, yeah. was, it was a really powerful moment, you know? Yeah. And I think that we shortcut ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. both, both, I mean, because I needed it too, right? At the same time, yeah. it's, we, we both needed that. And we right. had to give ourselves permission to kind of be vulnerable in that sense. And there was obviously something that I was giving up, right? Oh. I knew that there was opportunity that was going to fall by the wayside because I wasn't there to take advantage of it. But I had this opportunity that was more important for me at home, right? Right. Especially as my, right. our kids were much younger. This was 10 years ago. Now they're older and we have a lot more flexibility. But yeah, well, I think that. Choices like that, I mean, that is a huge decision to say that you're not going to work Saturdays anymore. And I don't think Ned and I had quite the same kind of moment, but I know that our relationship and our family life fundamentally changed when he went from working all the time to very intentionally trying to set weekends aside Mm -hmm. for the family. So that's a really, really big one. Mm -hmm. And I think it doesn't have to be even that kind of a gesture, though certainly I would recommend that Mm -hmm. for anybody because we all need that time for our brains and our bodies to rest. And it's going to make you that much more effective and creative if you do give yourself that space and give yourself that time to be with the people that you love. But even the small things that that you can do to demonstrate to your partner that that you see him or her. You know, anything you can do that that communicates, I see you, I understand you, um, I hear what you're saying, I, I recognize what you're telling me that you need, and I'm willing to respond to that. That has so much power to it in a relationship, you know, and I think it's out of those kinds of actions and words that stem all these other things that we're talking about, the mm-hmm. trust, the intimacy, the connection, um, the long-term commitment through really crazy, unpredictable, dramatic, uncertain times in life. If you can still look into one another's eyes and say, yes, I see you, I understand you, you are still so important to me that I am willing to make these choices for your benefit and for the sake of our family. That will just go a really, really long way yeah. in helping you have a really 
not only like a stable relationship, I think a really thriving and vibrant Mm -hmm. relationship, you know, the kind of relationship that makes you want to come home um, and and be with your partner because it's just so fulfilling and, and it does so much good for your soul. But as important, it gives the non entrepreneurial spouse strength and fortitude to be fully present when an entrepreneurial venture fails. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, They work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. How does a couple, when you've got one person that is the entrepreneur, not only is their dream, quote unquote, dying or withering away, but there's also this like, oh my gosh, I've, I've failed my investors, my dream's dying, but man, I have just totally jeopardized my family. How do, how mm-hmm. does, how do people survive that? Yeah, it's, it's a really tough one. I think... You know, it, part of it goes back to how you approach the business to begin with. So one thing I talk about quite a bit in the book is who do you see, especially if you're the entrepreneur, what do you truly base your identity in? And I think for most entrepreneurs, it is really easy, and I have done this myself, to completely wrap your identity around what you do. And so when that, or hopefully if (laughs) that venture fails, then that's why it can feel like some kind of a death, like a huge part of you, the primary part of you has died or is dying. And it is so, so painful. And, And I think, you know, I don't think you can avoid the pain. I don't think you can avoid the grief that is part of the process. And, and I think where partners can really step in is, is in reminding their entrepreneurial spouses, like, hey, you know, well, for one thing, empathizing and, and recognizing, yeah, I get it. It's so painful. There was one couple I spoke with where, you know, the husband had a business that he had dedicated a couple of years to, and it was clearly not working. And they had this really hard conversation where he finally admitted, you're right, it's not working. I need to move on. But then it took him another three months before he really did anything that that was moving the company towards being shut down. And his wife just sat back and gave him those three months. I, I would imagine that that was pretty painful for her, that she got pretty impatient with him at times. But she recognized that he needed to go through his own process in order to be ready for that. And she trusted him because they had come to this agreement that, that he was going to shut down the company, he was going to move on. But she respected his process enough to give him the space mm-hmm. to, um, to take the steps he needed to, both emotionally as well as logistically, to make that happen. And, and I think that that measure of respect and empathy 
is really important when somebody is going through something as painful as the loss of a business that they have invested so much into. And then I think the other thing that that partners can do is to step in and just remind remind your spouse like, hey, I know this was really hard, but life doesn't end here. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a family that loves you. You have friends that love you. You have so much to offer this world. Wow. And and so to to give that encouragement of, you know, I think it's a balance of being with them in the hardship and the sorrow and the pain and the frustration and all of that, but then also, you know, encouraging them to to continue to to feel hope and to look toward the future and um and to process through what it is that that they've been through what they've learned because i think the the silver lining the huge silver lining in um the experience of having a company that doesn't work is that it is an incredible learning experience and i think we probably all know investors and experienced entrepreneurs um, or even people who like to join startups in the early phase, there are folks who don't want to work with an entrepreneur unless they have been through a couple of failures Mm -hmm. because they know that these are the folks who they've done it. They know what it's like. They've learned from their mistakes and they were able to get up and do it again. And so... So those those kinds of lessons that you learn from a business that doesn't work, they are super painful lessons, but they're incredibly valuable. And they can be applied to your next venture. They can be applied to your personal life. They can be applied to whatever you do next. There are these life lessons around leadership and management and problem solving and creativity and innovation and working with people, those are all skills that um, that are incredibly useful no matter what you do next. And so I think, you know, if if spouses can kind of come together and, and really support one another through those initial months of, of mourning and sadness and frustration and anger and disappointment and possibly worse if there's depression and anxiety in there, um, but to, to commit to walking with one another through that season so that they can hopefully emerge on the other side as much wiser people who are more well-equipped for the next adventure. The uh, the non-entrepreneurial spouse has to become a professional reminder-er. Yes, that's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to maintain outlook and perspective. I mean, that's like, it, it's not the end of the world 99% of the time. And, and it's something that we have to remind each other about the truth. You know, yeah, it's hard. It's painful. We, it's like you're like in a championship game and you, are, you have the ball and you're about to shoot and score and you totally biff it or you lose right. it. And game's over and the comp- your competitors won and they stole it from you. And there's a grieving process that occurs. And you have to mm-hmm. give space... But that space has to be earned, as we've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, earlier. You, you, in the the entire process, which is ongoing. It's not like a a linear thing. It's circular. It's just constantly happening. You have to kind of earn that space by being present, by maintaining and developing trust, by maintaining communication, by actively pursuing intimacy in in different ways, not just sexual ways, but in in like focus and attention on on your significant other mm-hmm. and and maintaining perspective in failure which is which we you've talked mm-hmm. about but just as important 
as maintaining perspective in failure is maintaining perspective in success, right? It's like, you know, there's this off, this is, they call it the lottery syndrome. And I think you refer to it in the book that somebody comes to a windfall of money and they just like lose their brain and all of their reason and logic and, and uh, genius. And I forget who said, I think it was Mark Cuban. He said, you know, if you weren't, if you weren't happy before you had money, you're not going to be happy after you have money. It's just a magnifier of, of your emotions. Mm-hmm. And the difference between a lottery winner and somebody who's an entrepreneur is significant in the fact that the entrepreneur actually put blood, sweat, tears, time, sacrifice, sure. all of those things into that. But nevertheless, when somebody comes into a big windfall of money, things change. Mm-hmm. So, so how does someone maintain perspective when they succeed? Which was an interesting, interesting part of your book. I hadn't like actually expected like surviving success. Obviously, surviving failure that makes sense, but surviving right. success was a new spin on it. Yeah, well, I really wanted to put that in there because. I had spoken to dozens of different entrepreneurial couples who were all over the spectrum in terms of where they were in their journey. And there were a few of them who had kind of made it, you know, in terms of their businesses were doing really well. And and some of them had gotten that sudden windfall with a big IPO or some sort of big exit. And yet they still had challenges in their personal lives, in their marriages. To some extent, there were these brand new challenges that came up when when they were suddenly wealthy. There was one woman I spoke with who um, was very, very close with her husband. They had been together for a very long time. The startup had taken a lot out of their marriage in terms of he was so committed to his company that she felt like she was raising their two kids on her own. But they both had this sense of, as soon as we have an exit, everything will be fine. And I think that's sort of just a different version of this idea that a lot of us buy into and possibly unconsciously or subconsciously, but this sense of, if I just had a lot of money... (laughs) Um, or if I just didn't have to worry about money, all my problems would be solved or life would be so much easier. Right. And the reality is that's not the case because um, money brings its own complexities. And and what you were referring to earlier with the lottery winners, so it's something called sudden wealth syndrome. Mm. And, and it has been documented in lottery winners, but also people who you know inherited money or who you know, got money through other means, even if it was money that they felt like they earned and they worked hard for. But it is a fundamental shift in who you are when you go from being, you know, Joe and Jane middle class to suddenly, you know, now you're in the upper classes and it's a significant transformation in who you are, how you see yourself, and how other people see you. And so if you had, like you were saying, if you had cracks, in your marriage and in your family before money came along, the money is not going to solve that. It's probably going to make it more complicated because relationships, unfortunately, do get more complicated when when money's in the picture. Couples will fight just as much about not having enough money as they will fight about having too much money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to, to 
have that recognition of, you know, okay, if there is a possibility that our business is headed toward a lucrative exit, um, in my books, I recommend that you prepare for that as well as you would prepare for something like bankruptcy. Because it is that fundamental of a shift in who you are and how you will operate. It will open up a whole new world of opportunities. It will open up a whole new network of social connections. But it's going to take you quite a while to figure that out. And then there are all these complications around taxes and wealth management and you know things that, that you might know a lot more about than I do. But, um, but those are all things that you need to learn and you need to figure out. And... Um, I think as long, I think if you can understand that money is not a problem solver, that it's not going to make you happy. There have been many, many studies done um, on wealth and, and how much money people have. And generally speaking, you know, as long as your needs are met and you have a roof over your house and you can pay for the basics and you can take a vacation every once in a while you're good. You know, I think one study said that the average family, you know, probably just needs about 70,000 a year. Um, that probably wouldn't work in a place like the Bay Area, but, but in a lot of parts of, of the US, you know, 70,000, that's great. And if you had more than that, it, like, it would only very, very marginally improve your quality of life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and so just to understand that that's not what is going to solve your problems. That's not what is going to make you happy. That ultimately, it's still the same thing, whether you have a lot of money or you don't have money at all. It's the relationships. It's finding meaning and purpose in life. Those are the things that um, that are going to keep you grounded, that are going to make you feel really satisfied with your life. And to recognize that you know money comes with great things. It comes with really terrible things. And, um, and and I think if you can maintain that healthy perspective on, you know, it's just a thing. It's not the be all end all in my life. It's not the thing that will define me. Um, then that will really help you figure out, you know, how, how to operate as somebody with a lot more wealth. What, what's an example of an agreement that, some, that a couple might come to as it relates to when our company exits and we have a big liquidity event, what's an agreement that they might come to to, in advance to help protect and reinforce their marriage and all of the values and mission and vision that they have before the exit? So one mistake that that happens a lot with people who suddenly find themselves very rich is that they just start spending like crazy. And because you don't yet know how to manage your wealth, which is, you know, it's not, uh, I'm not saying anything against anyone in particular. That just is the case. It's a skill to manage wealth. And if you haven't been in that position before, you're not going to know how to manage your wealth well. And, um, and so more likely than not, you are going to make some poor choices if you just start throwing money here and there and everywhere. And, you know, buying houses for your friends and lending money to random people and investing in, you know, the the next big thing. So one agreement that couples could make is to say, you know, hey, if if this happens, if we get a big exit, let's wait six months before we make any big purchases. Mm. Let's make sure that we have a financial advisor that we really trust and we begin talking to this person long before this happens. 
And I, you know, I think that it's not a bad idea to talk about giving um, as early as possible because uh, it's actually shown through research that people are more content and feel more happiness when they buy experiences and when they buy things for other people as opposed to just purely spending money on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so to, I think it's so much easier to come to to have that discussion and to come to some sort of agreement before you see all of the dollar signs that are in your bank account um, to think, you know, is there a certain percentage that we want to make sure that we set aside to give away? Or is there a certain amount? Or is there a particular, you know, NGO or charitable project that we are really, really wanting to support? And this is how much we want to be able to give to that. Um, So I think those are the kinds of agreements. Um, As well as, you know, you can think about how do we maintain some sense of stability for our family? Because you don't want to move suddenly into a huge mansion and buy a new fleet of cars. And that's actually very disruptive, even though it would seem like it's a great thing for your family. But you know, if, if there are kids involved, I think you really want to ease your kids mm-hmm. into that, that sort of a lifestyle. And I, I think there's a real question of, do you even want your kids to live that kind yeah. of a lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. I think um, many of us know about Warren Buffett and how he chose to raise his children and how they didn't know until they were adults that their father was, or that their family was crazy rich because they just lived in their regular home that they had been living in all their lives and their lifestyle wasn't particularly extravagant. And there can be something very healthy about that, of, of not flaunting your wealth, of, um, of not living a jet-setting lifestyle. I think that it can be very grounding for kids um, to to sort of just be like an average kid and be able to enjoy the the average things that kids do, like just playing in the backyard as opposed to needing to necessarily travel the world every other year or something. So so I think that those are all things that are worth thinking about. If, mm-hmm. if you see that a windfall may be coming and to recognize that we all have weaknesses around money. And, and so if there are things, guidelines or goals or agreements that you can put into place ahead of time, then that will set you up better for being able to know what to do once, once all that money shows up. Dorcas, this has been an incredibly uh, insightful conversation today. And there's so much more people in the book. I mean, we're barely scratching the surface because of our time constraints. But this book has got like almost half a decade of research that's that's gone into it. There's a lot of love that's gone into it because she wrote it for herself, people, as well as you and I. And, and I highly encourage you to dive through this book. There's so much value in there. Dorcas, one last question before we let you go at mm-hmm. uh, nine o'clock or uh, almost ten o'clock in in Nairobi right now. Um, when you think about the word impact and what your mission and vision is for your life in the world, what impact do you hope in, in an ideal scenario? If you could wave a magic wand, what's the impact that you would like to have in the world? Well, specifically through this book, I would love to provide entrepreneurial couples with 
the fuel that they need that they can get from their relationships so that they can meet their full potential. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the more that we can support one another and encourage one another, the better leaders and innovators and creators we will be. Um, and, and so I would love for couples not to get discouraged in that journey, not to give up on one another, but to recognize that things can get better, that every little thing that they do for one another and for themselves counts and matters. And and I think that that points to kind of a larger hope that I have in in all that I do, in, in the writing I do, in the work that I've done with nonprofits and um, through social enterprises is really to help folks understand their own value and the value that they can bring to the world. And I think that if we don't hold ourselves back, if we fully embrace our potential and are willing to work with one another and collaborate with one another to support that potential in each other and to nurture that potential in each other, then um, there are incredible things that every single individual person can do. Amen to that, sister. I love it. I'm I'm a I'm a fan. I'm behind that mission 100%. And we will be sure to link to the book again in the show notes. But where can people go online if they don't happen to have access to a computer right now, uh, where they can go to the show notes? Where can they go online at home to buy the book? The book is available wherever books are sold. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, hopefully your local bookstore. So it shouldn't be hard to find. And you can always stop by my website, chaintosen.com, and there'll be links there as well. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us and the best for your family in, in Kenya. How many? How, long, how much longer are you guys there? A year, right? Is The commitment was for a year. <laughs> I'm sure Ned will try to see if he can get me to stay longer. So that'll be a conversation we have later well, on. We look forward to seeing your adventures. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been so fun, Mike. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters, we could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Go make an impact.